button has been pushed. No, no. I pushed it. And we are in trouble. Help with a capital T that rhymes with P, stands for pool. Hmm. Ah, theater kids to the end. God, we're such nerds. Nerds. So, Clinton, we're trying to do a podcast. I'm paying attention. I'm sure you are. I'm here in present. Uh-huh. For you and our listeners. Can you introduce the podcast this time? Um, I think oh, that shit. I can do that. <laughs> do you want the script? We've had problems in the past. I will try it without the script. Oh! And we'll see what happens. Looks like we got a badass over here. Welcome to Murder Brunch Podcast. This is the podcast where we bring you two tales of murder and mayhem and find where a murder falls on Dr. Michael Stone's scale of evil. He did it, folks! Except you didn't introduce us. Yeah, we're the... Oh, <laughs> and we're the Murder Brunch Bunch. I'm Clinton. I'm Rachel. I'm Joe. And, and this, this is the, is the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, I'm proud of you either way. That was good. I was not prepared. No, you did great. You did great. Uh, but yes, this is the podcast where we talk about murder and we talk about brunch. And we're never prepared. And we're never prepared. And we very much like Dr. Michael Stone, who provides us with the scale of evil. Just because we haven't done it in a while, I just wanted to do a little promotion for him. Just make sure that you are picking up his copy of The Anatomy of Evil off Amazon or wherever you get your books. Because it is fabulous. And he does have a second book, companion book, that's um, like, what's it called? It's like um, a new evil or something. And it's, I think it takes in consideration like the internet and all the new stuff that's in our. Oh, com- oh our- and is that the one that also involves like school shootings? Like, I think he puts the Columbine, yeah, I, I think Columbine so. kids on there and stuff like that. Yeah. I haven't gotten that one yet. So okay. um, it is on my list though. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Christmas is coming up. Just saying. Uh, But yeah, the scale can be found there if you're ever interested about some levels that we don't cover in the podcast. Although we're going to get them all. We're going to get one. We're going to catch them all like serial killer Pokemon. We do tend to cluster. Uh, Well, we pick cases that are outrageous. And so a lot of them tend to fall in certain categories. I look forward to our justifiable homicide. Yeah, that one should be interesting. But today's episode is definitely more of the outrageous. Yep. Definitely. So, shall we get to it? Yes, please. Before we start, yes, I have to do a correction from last week's episode. So, last week, when we were talking about Jim Jones, yes, I stated that he was a level 12 because that's what Dr. Michael Stone put him at. And that was from an NP article that listed him as that. Well, I went back and I watched the Most Evil episode that had cult leaders in it and in that he does a few cult leaders and he ranks every single one of them Mm -hmm. and in that episode he ranks jim jones as a 22 okay yeah because he he says it is his responsibility that all those people died yeah and there's so many almost a thousand you can't argue with it right however so one thing that he did point out that i didn't really think about is that the executioners so his followers that were killing the people who did not want to partake in the punch he ranked them as a 15 oh because what was 15 again do we have the list yes a 15 is a psychopathic cold-blooded spree or multiple murderers hmm just because of they would still have to have some kind of form of psychopathy to be able to do what they did well i mean so the cold-bloodedness they had no feeling at that moment right so. so, do we want to officially change him on the on our list? Yes. Okay. 
And I think that makes us all feel a little bit better. I think it does too. But that also puts Jim Jones same level as Voldemort. Correct. Uh, he who must not be named. Though Voldemort does have the higher body count. Just barely. But yeah, he does. And of course, you know, Jim Jones killed real people. There is that. Also, I do want to preference the fact that, or not preference, but I want to specify that they did not use Kool-Aid. Oh, that's actually something we should specify because yeah. I don't want Kool-Aid coming after us. Yeah, the the drinking the Kool-Aid is a joke that they made up, but it was not Kool-Aid that they used. So what was it? I mean, I assume still some kind of punch or wine or... It was a punch, but they said it was like a f- artificial flavoring that was laced with cyanide. And it, when you look at the the video like pictures or the video of this crock that they made it in it's just it's it's nasty there was there's nothing good about that i wonder if it's a company that no longer exists like i mean would you want to be known as the company that provided the drink for jim jones's mass murder i was but it was not kool-aid yeah and i want to put that out there Now we are here today, together, all of us. And what are we eating and drinking? Sorry. <laughs> You're fine. <laughs> let's start with the drink, because it's delicious. It is very good. Um, the, our drink today is called a Mad Hungarian, and it is basically coconut rum and root beer. And it's a delightful mix. I like it a lot. It is as Hungarian as the second Hungarian Rhapsody. <laughs> No one else will get that reference, but that's okay. Yeah? All right. Well, I was thinking more like goulash. That's that's my limit of Hungarian knowledge. Not a fan? <laughs> Rachel brought this drink full well knowing that I don't like <laughs> root beer and I don't like coconut. <gasps> to be fair, I don't think you should say full well knowing. <laughs> we have to expand our horizons and try some new things once in a Did while. Did you know I, I don't like root beer? I was on the fence about your like of root beer. Did you know I don't like coconut? I, I do know you don't like coconut. How can you be unaware of the root beer thing? I know in your household how often root beer yes. is drank. It's often. <laughs> All right. Either way, it's a delicious cocktail and I stand by it. And I am content with my bottle of water. Mm. And then for our brunch snacks today, we have... We have strawberry and cream cheese pastry puffs. Yes, they are delicious. And we do not have a charcuterie board, and I apologize. Yes, it's a very light brunch today. All right, shall we get into our first story? You guys are so excited about it, I can tell. I'm eating, (laughs) so I can't really say anything. All right, well, here we go. The lady I'm covering today is the infamous Elizabeth Bathory. Ooh! Or better known as the Blood Countess. Mm. I'm into this already. <laughs> I'm glad I brought the little strawberry things. I know, the like... strawberry was a nice touch. Um, I would like to go ahead and apologize to any Hungarian listeners because I'm about to mutilate some of your cities as far as the pronunciation goes. But here we go. In Hungary, her name was actually Erzabet Bathory, I believe. She was born in Nirbator, Hungary on August 7th, 1560. 
As a child, she suffered from seizures, which could have been epilepsy. So we're going back to 1560. I'd like to just point that out. So we're looking at a lot of cultural differences, obviously, uh, lack of certain scientific knowledge that we have today, um, and then, of course, social niceties that were not in place as far as how they treated mm, people of a lower class, I guess you would say. But either way, our murderer today was born into high status. She was educated. She was cultured. Her uncle was the king of Poland. So she she came from a a pretty well-connected family. She married at age 15 to Count Ferenc Nadasi. Wait, Nadasdi, I believe it's... I'm doing the best I can. Uh, (laughs) There were 4,500 guests at her wedding. And they were married for 29 years. So, you know. How many guests? 4,500. 4,500. It's a lot. That's a lot. I mean, she's essentially royalty. Yes. I mean, yes. She's nobility, if nothing else. Yeah. So I imagine you would have the rest of nobility present and... Yes. All all states of it, right? Minor nobility, major nobility, admiral nobility. I don't know. (laughs) Platinum. Platinum. Platinum level nobility. Platinum level nobility. Uh, They got the box seats. But yes, there were 4,500 guests at her wedding. And as I mentioned, she was married to her husband for 29 years, which, you know, soulmates. Especially since, and again, uh, I don't know this specifically, 1560, I imagine life expectancy not very high. Uh, so being married for 30 years is well over the majority of your life at that sure. point, oh, I have yeah. to imagine. Yeah. How um, old was she when she got married? 15. Okay. Yeah. Well, that, that's a little, Okay. <laughs> Dropped him at forty five, or whatever happens at forty. I let's, don't. I don't know how just, this plays out. Yeah, let's just let's just give it a give it a listen. Uh, she began having children ten years later, so she's twenty five, and she had five altogether. Two died as infants, and then three survived to adulthood. And to be honest, like that's the last I hear about her kids. And I'm surprised I don't have more play in the story. But I honestly, I, I went for three sources, and nobody really talks about them. So I don't know what happened to those children. Her husband, the Count, he was a soldier during the Ottoman Wars, and he was away a lot of their marriage. He died in 1604, leaving her the estate and lands. So at this point, Clinton, she is 44 years old. All right. Thank you. 44. So basically, (laughs) when she's about this age, 44 years old, officials came to investigate alleged crimes against noblewomen, not the peasants she was also killing. So let me tell you, Elizabeth was a bit of a serial killer. She liked to kill women and young girls, ages 10 to 14. So what I'm basically going to do right here is I'm going to kind of go through a little bit more of her life, and then we're going to talk about her crimes and the victims. When they came to investigate the reports that were being made about her, she was in the middle of torturing someone when they came by. Yeah. Hold on a moment. (laughs) I just need to go wash my hands. (laughs) Um, She was found... She was found guilty for the crimes, but she never stood trial because she was a woman of noble birth. So they do not say on trial at All this right. time. So rewind for just a second. Born 1560, married at 15 for quite a while mm. at this point. Husband away a lot. Yes. And so you mentioned at around 44... 44 uh, to 50. Right. Yeah. So they come to investigate rumors. Hap- like Yes. People so- are starting to go to the officials to say... This chick ain't right. And okay. they need to go find out what's going on. Uh, she was imprisoned in her home because, as I mentioned, she was high birth. So she was not put into jail. 
Four servants were arrested with her in for collusion, for basically helping her murder people. And they were questioned and tortured during their <laughs> investigation. They denied any wrongdoing, but they did report burying bodies. The servants' accounts vary between 36 to 51 victims. Out of the servants, three of them were immediately executed. One was spared from immediate execution, but otherwise her fate was unknown. So we don't know what happened to that fourth servant. Also, another woman who supposedly used magic to help Elizabeth was also executed. So, different time. Witches. Yes, yes. Judges collected 289 witness statements. And among those witness statements, the body count reached perhaps 650 victims. As I mentioned, Elizabeth couldn't be put on trial, so she was isolated until her death in 1614, when she was 54. Well, I mean, you know that old tradition of murdering or torturing 15% of your wedding guests. (laughs) Right. I'm pretty sure, yeah, that's how it worked out. Okay, so let's talk about her crimes. As I mentioned, she liked to murder and torture young women of her village who would come to be servants at the castle. And they were ages 10 to 14 years old. And then she would also murder minor noble women. Those were daughters who were sent to Liz to learn social etiquette and like how to advance in the court. We're calling her Liz now. I think we've, I think we've earned it. We're, we're on that first we're name basis. Level. So yeah, she, they were sent to learn from her as a noble woman. Right. So that makes sense. But so, so I'm trying to imagine how this plays out. Sure. I drop off my noble daughters at this lady's house for some training. Come back. A day later? A week later? Oh, I'm a sure. month later? I mean, it might be like a year. Like, I, I think they often... Like, you became wards of, of okay. nobility. You know what I mean? So you'd stay with them for a while. But either way, the letters would stop coming home and they'd start to wonder. Right. And yeah. so that's that's kind of what I'm wondering then is like, at what point is it that it's like, oh, she has killed them? Or even, you know, like, are you receiving weekly correspondence? And then she's like, and today we practiced... Flailing. Yes, no, I, don't <laughs> I, I don't know exactly, but I will say that it was the murder of these daughters that caused the officials to look into what was going on. Okay. Nobody cared that the peasants were being or were going missing. Peasants um, go missing all the time. Apparently. Rachel. But as soon as these daughters started to go missing, the officials were like, we need to find out what's going on. So according to the testaments from the witness statements, these were the type of things that they she did to her victims. She would cover them in honey and leave them outside for insects to devour. Ice baths in winter. Needles into fingers. Cutting lips and noses. Whipping with stinging nettles. Biting shoulders and breasts. And burning flesh, including the genitals, suggesting a sexual motivation. So those are the ones that are documented. And obviously the people who were reporting these incidents did not shy away from gore. But as the years have gone on, there have been a lot of fantastical evidence brought up against Elizabeth Bathory, such as that she was bathing in the blood of her victims. Yes, Clinton was very excited to hear about that one. (laughs) Bathing in the blood of a thousand virgins. Everyone knows that old trick. (laughs) (laughs) Right, that she was bathing in it or drinking it. She had some kind of empiric tendencies. She's often compared to Vlad the Impaler when, um, oh shoot, uh, Bram Stoker. When he was writing Dracula, he often cited both her and the Vlad tales as his inspiration for the books and stuff like that. So, But the stories of her bathing in the blood and drinking blood actually got reported 100 years after the reports were made. So those are often thought to be 
a fantasy. I'd like to think she did do that. You're so gross. <laughs> hey, a woman in her 40s has to look young. <laughs> right. A couple of other stories that were told about Elizabeth that weren't, um, I guess you could say, what's the word? Supported, maybe? Were that she may have had an illegitimate child before she was married. So that would have been around age 11. And that her count husband is said to have had the lover castrated and eaten by dogs. And then the baby was hidden from public life and raised as... You know, just a regular baby. <laughs> There's <laughs> not a special baby. Not a special baby. Not a ro- not a noble baby, I should okay. say. It was also said that her husband may have taught her the torture techniques that she used on her victims. He was a soldier, so there might have been some overlap there. And there are reports that, like, for instance, one of the legitimate claims was a letter from a priest that happened during this, where he wrote how violent and mean both her husband and elizabeth were to their servants in his presence like he was a guest at their home and he watched them i don't know tear apart some young servant either metaphorically or literally i'm not sure but either way so like if she was bad to her people he also the the count could also have been very um mean mean seems like such a small word to say in this case but just horrible to them as I mentioned, the, the infamous blood baths were not reported until 100 years after her death. And during isolation, as part of her punishment, she may have been walled into her house. So not just like locked and said you're on house arrest, but actually like walled up like an Edgar Allan Poe story. For the love of God, Montresor. All right. So she's obviously an awful woman, right? According to all these reports. But there is an alternative idea that could have been happening. For one thing, she could technically be innocent. I mean, this is the 1560s. She had a lot of things going against her. For one thing, the Habsburgs, who were the ruling family at this time in Hungary, they owed her money. She had so many lands and like so much property, and she was a widow, which, as we know, history does not look fondly on women who have power. And so... At what point... So I don't... So I know you mentioned married at 15 and then was together for what? You said 29 years? Yes. So he died? Yes. Okay. Yeah, he died from um some some with his legs, like his legs were started to go to have a paralysis or something like that. I don't remember. That might have to be looked up by by people who are really interested in it. But yeah, he died, and so like most of her reports, like nobody came to investigate her until after. Until he died. after. Okay. So timeline wise, then was she bringing these ten to fourteen year old girls and killing them? While still married, or none until... Well, I mean, it wasn't investigated until after, so I guess we don't really know. Correct. I would guess that, I mean, as far as, like, what her servants are saying, like, it was going on, but maybe she, like, really got into it after he died. Like, that's the kind of case we're talking about here. She may have had more freedom to do it after he died. Like, maybe he was like, stop that, you're leaving bodies all over the place. I don't know. So, anyway, back to the idea that maybe she was, quote-unquote, innocent, right? The Habsburgs owed her money. Relatives wanted her lands because it had all been left to her when the Count died. None of it had gone out to his relatives and things like that. And the witness statements were obviously a little unreliable. For one thing, they were made by other servants who may not have liked her very much. They were made under duress. I mean, the three the or the four servants who were arrested at the same time she was, they were tortured for their witness statements. As we know, torture is not the best way to get the truth out of people sometimes. So the statements themselves may be a little unreliable. Also, she had vocally and very prominently stated that she wanted her nephew to be ruler in Hungary. I believe he was the king of Transylvania at the time. And that was frowned upon by the people who were ruling currently. So it made her a target. 
Yeah, you did say that initially the numbers were 36 to 51 victims and then became 650 victims. 36 to 51 that just those four servants buried. But I I have a feeling she had a pretty high turnover rate for her servants. So who knows how many were around. But again, like nobody that I could find as far as far as like a scholars go, consider her completely innocent. Like there, there are too many reports for her not to have dabbled at least into torture and murder. That priest's account is very held in high high regard, I guess, because he was educated and of nobility, or not nobility, but had a higher status, that kind of thing. But when she was died, she was buried in her estate's crypt. There was uproar from the town, so I think she was eventually moved back to her family home. But as far as I know, I, like, I don't think anyone knows where her body is at this point. I have a feeling Hungary went through some upheaval. And, and uh, her lands and her family lands might have been all divvied up and all that. So that's Elizabeth Bathory and her 650 victims. So, are we ready for the scale? Or do we have any more thoughts? No? No? No. I think it's always fascinating when we do these. Like, I mean, this is the case of it's 500 plus years and so it's always interesting to see what happens to the records or you know what's right. reported at the time versus what comes out later so yeah let's uh let's throw her on the scale right and after after so many hundreds of years obviously people become more mythical in their in their remembrance right they're not necessarily and again like you said the record keeping itself may not be as clean as we would like and what has changed within the countries where those records are because I mean, they had a they had a legal system they had you know right. all the stuff but but yeah, what's factual and what's not is a little fuzzy. So keeping that in mind, I apply that to the scale. So the lowest level I put her on was 13, which is inadequate, rageful psychopath, some committing multiple murders. I put her as a 13 in the idea that maybe she did not kill virgins and, you know, <laughs> bathe in their blood and drink their blood for enduring youthfulness. But this was a ruler who just had no qualms about hurting the people under her. She didn't care about her inferiors. And so she killed them on a whim rather than having some like crazy, I want to torture, murder everybody. Just like you folded my sheets wrong. I'm going to murder you. That kind of thing. So 13 is the idea that she did not do as bad of, I don't want to say as bad of the things she did because she obviously did some bad things, but it may not have been as monstrous as history has made her out to be. I also suggested 20, which were torture murders with a distinct psychosis, only because she lived in a time where we didn't have that kind of knowledge. So she might have actually been subjected to a, a type of schizophrenia or disassociative or disorder or something like that. And that's why she's going out of control. I don't know. And as we all know, people with mental illness are not naturally given to torture murder people, but she might have had something that was not diagnosed. And then, of course, I did put her on the 22 for psychopathic torture murders were torture as their primary motive. Because, I mean, these accounts, even if the bloodbaths were not recorded until 100 years later, obviously the reports that they did have, they did not shy away from the gore that she supposedly did. I mean, covering people in honey and leaving them out for insects to eat. Do you know how long that would take? That would take forever. So if those are true, then she really did revel in some really awful things. So that's my ideas. So it's interesting to point that on the scale here, it is broken into different sections with essentially increased psychopathy and sadism. You know, that's more what moves you up in the scale rather than a body count, for example. And it does seem she was really into the actual torture side of things. 
Actually, why don't we talk a little bit about the scale real quick? Okay, yeah, let's talk about it. Go ahead, Clinton. So this is Dr. Michael Stone's Scale of Evil. It is uh, 22 levels, with a level 1 being justifiable homicide, and 22 being, as mentioned, psychopathic torture murderers with torture as their primary motive. And we've ranked a few of them on here, and Dr. Stone himself has ranked several serial killers on here. So you're thinking all the way up to, to 22. I think so, but let's hear what you guys think. Here we go. Joe. I think it's kind of hard to rank her, being we don't know really what her childhood was before she was married off. And so that's 15 years. Of- well, I'm, to be fair, I think most of it was fairly, like there was no reports of abuse or anything like that. She she lived in a lot of money. She had a high status. She probably was spoiled. She got everything she wanted. You know, that kind of thing. Maybe she may have been lonely and locked in a tower. And Would then- that change our rank? So let's say she had a terrible childhood versus a wonderful childhood. If she ultimately kills and tortures 650 people... Would the childhood change her ranking? No, but I think it would change her motivation. Okay. And the motivation, I believe, would change her ranking. For instance, did she have something that was sexually driven? We, we don't know that. But I will say that from all the things that I have read about her, it always seemed that torture was her, her main objective. She never just killed people without having a torture aspect it was almost one of those things where she, like the dipping in honey and and having insects eat them or there's tales of her doing the ice baths and then throwing them out in the snow right and yeah, then she like those ice baths in winter right so. <laughs> and so it wasn't an instantaneous death she watched them die and that is definitely going to be part of the ranking. So it would be one of in the 20s. I agree. It has to be between 17 and 22, which is the sadists. I don't think I can call her an adequate rage killer. That doesn't seem to be her motivation. She clearly is adequately torturing <laughs> and then killing these people. And this, again, this is going on the assumption that those statements were correct from the witnesses, that she was torturing these people to death. And she didn't seem to hide it very well. She wasn't trying to hide it. She didn't have to. Yeah, the nobility definitely provided her protection. I mean, she was literally in the middle of torturing someone when the cops came to get her. Right. And the village that she got her servants from knew exactly what was happening. If your daughter went to the castle, you would never see her again. Right. But they couldn't do anything about it either. So she didn't have to hide that fact. So that's also kind of hard to put her on the scale because... Either she's a psychopath and doesn't feel like she needs to hide it, or she, you know, you're the kind of person who hides it to keep it from the police. And she didn't do, she didn't hide it, and, but we don't know why. Right. Yeah, so, I mean, we could put her as far as 22. I think the 650 count is too high. I think that's, I don't know. I feel like that's that's from years and years of passing. Take just the 50 I think just torturing and killing 50 people would sure. net you a 22. Okay. Well, she is not a 21, which is people that tortured and didn't kill. So we can we can definitely rule out that. The only other possible one I think that ranks is where you said a 20, which is torture murderers, but people that have a psychosis such as schizophrenia, 
we don't know whether or not right she she had any mental problems i mean other than you know <laughs> liking to torture and kill yes. people yeah i'm comfortable putting her at a 22 at a 22 you want to go ahead and put her at a 22 i'm fine with that okay so we've had some high-ranking people lately but we will list elizabeth bathory the blood countess as a 22 yes on the books on the books put it on the board clinton there she is on the board <laughs> 22 all right next to lord voldemort <laughs> and jim jones and jim jones that's a weird threesome <laughs> all right so let's go into our second story of the day our unsolved mystery murder yes this one will not be put on the scale as we do not know the murderer or his motivation or her motivation or as her. elizabeth has taught us yes what fools we were before. <laughs> All right, so our second story for today is the mysterious death of Blair Adams. It's the morning of July 11th, 1996 in Knox County, Tennessee. And I um, just, like today, realized that this is the second story that I have done from Knox, Tennessee. That's weird. Did you get them from the same source? No. That's really weird. <laughs> Maybe someone should, uh, Check out Tennessee. Maybe they're related. No, they're not. I know. <laughs> they're not. Um, okay, so anyway, so Knox County, Tennessee. Two workers find the half-nude body of a man in a construction site. He had been beaten with something like a crowbar, and there was evidence of a possible sexual assault. Surrounding the body were thousands of dollars of Canadian, German, and American currencies, as well as stuffed in his pockets of his jeans. That sounded weird. Mm. Money was stuffed in the pockets of his jeans as well. Okay. And I'm sorry, German currency? Yep. Okay. Canadian, German, and American. Spy. It it does sound that, and uh, not to be disrespectful, but it sounds like someone... The imagery painted in my mind is similar to that of a piñata. Oh, God. Because <laughs> you mentioned he was beaten with a stick or something, and oh, there's money gross. just everywhere. <laughs> there's money just everywhere. Well, what's hilarious is that the article that I got a lot of this information from took the time to say that an owner of a sighting company pocketed $110 before the p- police gave it back. Now, it's like, how do they know but that? But it's like, why would you go out of your way of saying that? What a this narc. Is, it seems like, what a dick move. But And I, I'm very sorry. What year are we in? 1996. 96, okay. All right. Uh, also found around the body were his socks, miscellaneous keys, a hotel key card, and his shoes. And again, this article... Went out of the way to say one of the shoes he seemed to have pulled under his head like a pillow mm. as he was dying. I think that's a broad assumption. I, anyway, I just thought that was just a weird thing. to. All right. There was also a duffel bag with maps and travel receipts and a, a fanny pack. The fanny pack was stuffed full with sunglasses, more random keys, jewelry, gold and platinum coins, and five ounces of gold bars. My goodness. Very little was known about what actually happened during the attack or when it occurred. They do know that the fatal blow was to the stomach, which ruptured and caused septic shock. Eventually, the police were able to identify the victim as... (laughs) I I can't get that pinata thing out of my head now. Like, you hit your belly and it's... Oh, yeah, that's what happened. Oh, my God. All right, sorry. Go ahead. All I can think is, like, they hit him in the stomach, but then he farts out the money. (laughs) Oh, my God. 
God, that's awful. <laughs> Why are we doing this? We're this not poor, this poor man. man. Yeah, yeah, seriously. I'm not, I'm not All right. We'll take that back. <laughs> Yikes. Eventually, the police were able to identify the victim as Robert Dennis Blair Adams. He is from Surrey, British Columbia. So, what was a guy from Canada doing dead in Tennessee? Glad you asked, Rachel. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So, let's go back a few months. At that time, Blair Adams was just a 31-year-old construction foreman. He had no wife or kids, but his mother lived nearby. However, for some unknown reason, Blair started to act unusually. After two years of sobriety, Blair stopped attending his AA meetings and abruptly quit his job, saying he didn't know if he could carry on there anymore. After quitting, he never returned to pick up his paycheck. And it was around this time that he started telling his friends and his mother that people were spreading rumors about him and that he was, in fact, suspicious that someone was out to kill him. Then, on July 5th, 1996, a strange series of events begins. On this day, Blair went to his bank and empties his account of nearly $6,000 and cleans out his safety deposit box. On July 7th, he tries his first attempt to cross the Canada-U.S. border by boarding a ferry from Victoria to Seattle. However, due to the amount of money he was carrying, the Border Patrol flagged him as a possible drug mule and denied him access. So he he's literally like just like envelopes of cash around them or something like that yeah just pockets full of cash pockets full of cash just ready to be beaten (laughs) (laughs) poor Blair look where you have started (laughs) disgusting okay he drove back to Surrey visiting several people on the way ending up at his mother's house while there he told her that he did not feel safe uh, to go back to his apartment for some reason he then said he wanted to take a sudden trip to Atlanta to attend the summer Olympics of that year it's also interesting the visiting people he knew along the way, like making this some kind of social call, you know, road trip rather than just getting something done. Yeah. And how they made it seem, it was like he stopped. You get this, I mean, of course you're not there and you don't know the whole thing, but you get this impression that he's stopping at people's houses, like grabbing them by the shoulders and shaking them, going, someone's trying to kill me and then leaving again. Right. That's Okay. The information of him going to the Olympics, though, was never shared with the police in the original investigation. So that came out later, but it was from his mother. It wasn't a rumor. She actually said that he... Right. But obviously she chalked it up to crazy talk. Otherwise, she would have told the police earlier, right? I don't know. I mean, like, that's what she believes. That Oh, yeah, he went to America because he wanted to go to the Olympics. Mm -hmm. Seems legit. Sure. Great reason to come to America. Watch the Olympics. I remember those Olympics. Fun side story, but that's where my brother met his now wife. Right. He was a contestant. Um, And he was there in the (laughs) army uh, for the Olympics. Oh. The army Olympics. The army Olympics. But they have that. Not Atlanta. (laughs) No, actually this year it was in Wuhan. Wuhan, really? Or near it. Japan. Uh, Interesting. China. China. Racist. One of those countries. (laughs) Cut all this out. Oh, back to the story. Uh, he drew... Oh, uh, wait, hold on. I don't even know where we are. Okay, so, moving on. On July 8th, Blair leaves his mother's house. At some time, he goes to a travel service and spends $1,700 for a round-trip flight to Germany, but then asks for a refund later that same day. While there, he seems mildly sedated. On July 9th, Blair is spotted again at the border and tries to cross on foot. 
This time, Border Patrol flags him because he has visible scratches on his hands and legs. He matched the description of an auto thief, and he was denied access again. But they had no evidence against him for the theft, so they released him back into Canada. So after they released him back to Canada, Blair drives to the Vancouver International Airport. He ditches his own car there, rents a Nissan Altima, and this time he actually manages to drive across the border. He goes to the Seattle International Airport, ditches that car, and buys a one-way flight to Washington, D.C. And this is weird because he bought an $800 one-way ticket when he full-on knew he could buy a, a round trip for half the price. But he chose to spend the extra money. On July 10th, at Dulles International Airport, is that how you pronounce it? Dulles. 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 Okay. It's Dulles. Okay. It's Dulles. <laughs> yeah. She knows. Yeah. <laughs> You've been to Washington, D.C. Um, at this, well, nope, uh, on July 10th, <laughs> Dulles. We're rebooting Joe. Hang on one second. <laughs> Just like a pinata. <laughs> Blair! All right. On July 10th at Dulles International Airport, Blair rents a Toyota around 6.45 a.m. and makes the seven-hour drive to Knox County, Tennessee. At uh, 5.30 p.m., an auto service worker, so like a AAA worker, but it wasn't AAA, uh, responded to a call at a gas station where a man was claiming that his key was not working in his rental car. It turned out to be Blair trying to use the Nissan key in the Toyota. Being told this, though, he refused to believe it and wouldn't even look for the other key. Like, he was absolutely positively sure that this Nissan key went to that Toyota car. Hmm. Oh, and here's a a quote from that uh, auto service worker. He didn't appear to be messed up. He didn't appear to be on drugs, but his mind wasn't functioning correctly for some reason. The car was towed and Blair was dropped off at a hotel. The missing key was ultimately found near his body. With several other keys in his fanny pack, right? Correct. Yeah. His strange behavior continued at the hotel. He paid with a $100 bill, but left without his change. He kept walking in and out of the lobby as if he was waiting for someone to come in. And he also never actually went to his room. At 7.37 that night, he left the hotel, seemed to have stopped to eat something somewhere because he still had food in his stomach. And that was it. Now here are the theories. There are none. There were talks about a drug deal gone bad or some kind of sexual encounter that somehow ended badly. But with all the money and valuables left at the scene, that seemed doubtful. And in an interview with the Knox County Police in 2010, they said they had never received a credible tip about the murder. Hmm. That's weird. Yes. And this is after this story was featured in Unsolved Mysteries. So they have gotten lots of tips. A lot of people have called in, but none of them proved themselves to be credible in any way. Because that was my thought, too, was the robbery at first. Because he's obviously, he's suffering from some kind of paranoia. Mm -hmm. And he's walking around and, you know, someone tries to mug him and they go too far. But you're right, they did leave all that stuff behind. Except for that siding company guy. They need to watch out for him that stole (laughs) that 110 bucks. 
But, like, they left all the money there. They left all of his valuables. So my thought is he was having some kind of manic episode. And he thought somebody was somebody else or doing something. And so he approached somebody or attacked somebody and they fought back and then ran without knowing what they did. However, that doesn't explain why his pants were off. Yeah, you mentioned the whole sexual thing and so... Yeah. So maybe a sex worker got mad at him and beat the shit out of him or... Maybe because he was in some kind of psychosis state, he turned on them and so to get away they what if he was just taking a piss like <laughs> you just stopped to like well pee okay and so they... no they described his pants being taken off as if somebody took took them off you know like they pulled them off so they were inside out oh. instead of you taking them down oh interesting yeah my only thought is that because of all because you can't trace where those gold bars came from you right. know or where all that cash came from. Where did and the gold in which bars we assume the gold out. bars must have been in the safety deposit boxes. Yes. Okay. Right. So um, he cleaned all of that out. So I, I feel like, if anything, it was someone who struck back at him and then ran because they thought that their life was... Or what if it was a robbery and then they saw all the kind of stuff he had. He had all these different type of currency. He had gold bars and they got freaked out that he might be some kind of criminal. And they didn't want to be associated with that type of money. No? I don't believe that. Then you just steal $110. Ooh, that siding company and then, guy. <laughs> and, then, and that's enough to get you through like the week. Yeah. <laughs> mm, that's really that's really interesting that they don't have any theories. I'm surprised no... I mean, someone has to know something, right? That's that's always the case. Someone knows something. Well, and there's no, like, forensic evidence. There's no, like, f- footprint, you know, castings that they have been able to gather. Because it was a construction site, too. Right. So there was a lot of goings-on in that area no fluids there's no fluids the only thing that they were able to do they found a hair in his hand okay and it seemed like he had defensive uh wounds like uh like somebody like you know shoved him down on the asphalt so one of his hands was black and he had cuts and things like that but that's it well mr robert dennis blair adams i do wonder what uh what set him off? Like, what? Because the, the others mentioned that he seemed sedated at one point, and then the others mentioned the scratches on his hands and feet. No, he, on his uh, arms and legs. Or arms and legs, sorry. That was after the event. Right? No, that was no, when no, he no. tried to oh. cross the border on oh, foot. Oh, the second right, time, that's yeah. right. Well, so. I assume that was a raccoon fight, right? We are talking <laughs> Canada, so, right? No? Because Canada is the only place raccoons. <laughs> What's the creature you fight in Canada? Muskrat. Muskrat. <laughs> Bring back the muskrat. Um, no, but I mean, yeah. Well, there's some, obviously there was some kind of breaking point that sent him into this spiral anyway. Because he was a normal dude for the longest time, right? Until he just woke up one morning and decided someone was trying to kill him. That's what it seems like. But I mean, like, the right now what the common theory is with the police, it seems, is that he had a mental break of some kind. He imagined this death threat and then somehow, some way, in a totally unrelated kind of sequence, he met up with somebody who actually killed him. Right. That I mean, that's what I guess it would be. Or he was involved in something that no one has guessed yet and there really was someone trying to kill him. Well, I mean, the gold bars, the different current, like why did he have all different types of currency? 
Well, okay, so it makes sense that he would have Canadian currency and American currency, or, you know, U.S. currency, because he was coming from and going there. Sure. There was mention that he had a girlfriend in Germany, and he did buy the ticket to go to Germany. Yeah. So but then apparently decided either, well, if that was the case, then maybe he's like, I don't want to involve her in this, so he canceled the German ticket. I but, guess. But even or... that, like trying to say that I, I can't go back to my apartment because it's not safe, but I'm also going to visit all my friends on the way to seeing my mother, in which case he could be leading his attackers to his friends and relatives. And his girlfriend did say that he had never said anything to her about him going to Germany mm. or seeing her. She was not expecting him. And was there any kind of toxicology? Like, oh, yeah. Is he on a bad trip? You no. Know, and... No, there was, a, you know, when they did the autopsy they did not find anything in his system wow this is uh it's a pickle yeah <laughs> it's almost it's more interesting him than who killed him right like yeah. his death is not so much the mystery it is those days leading right. up to it because i think you're <laughs> this is just my guess but i think you're probably right that the person who killed him didn't intend to kill him but something happened they gave a, you know, a woof to the stomach and ran. Maybe they know. were playing that game where it's like, punch me as hard as you can in the stomach. And they kept going back and forth and he lost. He pulled a Harry Houdini. Yeah. What, it was something like that. I don't know. Well, he also had, you know, like. But let's take it. our pants off first. I don't know. <laughs> let's take our pants off and punch each other in the stomach. <laughs> Is that how that game goes? We've all been know. there. We've all been there. That's um, a Tuesday night. <laughs> but he had um, also been bludgeoned about the head. Right. But those weren't the death blows. Yeah. Gosh, that's that's crazy. Right? Yeah. Mysteries abound. Also, 96. Like, when we first started with this whole thing, you talked about the pockets full of cash. I was thinking, like, 50s. Like, when we threw out Spy. You know, that kind of thing. But when we go to 96, it's not like... It's not like 1560 with Elizabeth Bathory. You know I mean? Like, there is forensics available. There is all that. You know I mean? It's just so weird that they can't... They don't have anything to go on. Yeah, and but it's old enough... That they didn't have a security camera running in the construction site. Sure. You know? DNA probably was at its infancy. It's pretty early for DNA stuff, right? I mean, they had it. They could probably do a profile, but who knows how detailed that pro- profile would be. And well, who- and it doesn't talk about, like, blood from another person. No. and Or fluids of any kind. Yeah, poor Blair. Poor Blair. And clearly he never... I mean... Assuming he actually had any intent of making it to the Olympics. I think that was a red herring. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because he was going the wrong way. <laughs> right. I think that was just maybe a way to get over the border to say I'm a tourist going to the to the Olympics or something like that. And just we don't even know if that is true. Right. Right. It can't be corroborated in any kind of way. Yeah. Especially since it wasn't brought up in the initial investigation. I would like to take this time to point out that we are not cops and we're just making conjectures here, so... With the unsolved cases, it's weirder. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to accuse anyone of not doing their job or anything like that. Oh, no. But Only just... when there's evidence. <laughs> but it's just, this is wild that they can't, they don't have anything. That's just. Well, there you go. The unsolved case of Blair Adams. Yeah, that was a, a very interesting story. Thank you. You're welcome. Shall we cite our sources? Oh, yes, please. Okay, so the, sto- so the sources I used for the Elizabeth Bathory story was Biography.com, Britannica.com, and HistoryHit.com. And the sources I used for the story of Blair Adams was the KnoxvilleNews.com article by Travis Dorman and Unsolved Mysteries Season 9, Episode 17. 
So those are our two stories for the day. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to contact us, you can find us at any of our social media. Such as our website. Murderbrunchpodcast.com. Our Instagram. At Murderbrunch. Our Twitter. At Murderbrunch. And our email address. You can reach us at Murderbrunchbunch at gmail.com. We also have a Facebook page. God damn it. I did not have that on the list. <laughs> Which is... It's Murder Brunch. It's Murder Brunch Pod, pod I think. Or Murder Brunch Podcast. You know what? Oh my god. That gosh. one will be better next time, all right? You can find us on Facebook. I'm sure you just search Murder Brunch. It'll be fine. Uh, if you don't know this stuff yet, just go to the previous episode. There you go. Listen to it in its entirety. <laughs> and hear the ending. All of this contact information is on our website. Terrific. Please visit us there. And where you can also listen to the podcast yes, if you don't have access. So it's stop a- using <laughs> the excuse that you ha- didn't get the information. It is right there. You can find it. Guys, you can get it everywhere. But most importantly, you can stream us on most podcasting streaming services. We should be available on all the popular ones. If there is one you are looking for us to be on, go ahead and email us at murderbrunchbunch at gmail.com and we will get our stuff added there. In the meantime, join us next week for more mayhem, more murder, and more snacks. Bye! Bye. <laughs> I can't do this. That was that was better that time. We are we are just naturals. Uh.